So I'm going to have a few of you, you probably already know who you are, have turned to some different passages. We're going to start with hope. The rest of you can turn with hope to Matthew 18 if you like. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Now those outline notes, good point Austin, those are not an outline for this message. So if you want to take any notes on what I say before we get to that worksheet, you can do it on the back, but you don't have to. But you're going to be badly confused if you think that those are an outline to what I'm saying right now. That's the worksheet we're going to work through together. Alright. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two or you if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my father. Amen. So here we hear Jesus talking about conflict resolution. Even when you get to the end and it says if it doesn't get resolved, treat him like you'd treat a Gentile or an unbeliever. How should we treat unbelievers? With love. Doing what for them? Praying for them. Blessing them. So Jesus isn't saying if it doesn't get resolved, treat the guy like a jerk. Right? Of course. I used to read that as a kid and think that's what it meant. It's of course not what it means. Anyway. Okay, the context of, of conflict resolution has to be love. So, Forrest, can you take us to the two greatest commandments? There it is. Uh, Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, and the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment. So as we approach this issue of conflict resolution, first it's loving God, and loving him is obeying him. Jesus says that in John 14, 15, and 15, 14, and then right in the middle of those is where he says he loved his father and obeyed him exactly. Mark, can you show us the next example? So we we love God and we love others, and because of that we do this process of conflict resolution. Mark. Uh, Be devoted to one another in love. So being devoted to each other in love, in brotherly love, honoring each other above ourselves, right? Hetty, uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 4. If, there, if therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affliction and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the Spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfishness and or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Amen. Now finally, Aaron. So we've talked about this context of love, honoring others above ourselves, putting each other first. Now Aaron, how does that relate to today's talk? So this context of forgiveness. So why talk about this? And this is something that, as we thought about how to schedule this week in the director's conference calls and meetings, 
I said we've got to do a conflict resolution talk because here's why. We talked about a couple times this week how leaders lead change. Austin and Laura's leadership model described leaders. One definition was change agent, and that's a typical definition often. Okay? So if leaders are going from status quo to vision, there's going to be change involved. Now, change always produces conflict because people don't like change, right? My kids right now are doing pretty good, but they're also on the brink of disaster or craziness because we've been away from the house about 35 out of the last 43 or 44 days or something like that. So it's pretty crazy right now. In that time, we've put 4,500 miles on in the car and our kids are just kind of like at their limit. But change is hard to deal with, even at that young age, right? And I mentioned this yesterday, and I hope you'll get this and remember it. Remember, you have uninformed optimism. You can write these down on the back if you want. And you have informed pessimism. Hopeful realism. And these come from uh, managing at the speed of change, I believe. And then finally, informed optimism. Now let's compare that to what Ron and Jerry Swingle shared with our team a couple of years ago. You have, what were the four stages of a team? Storming. Or forming? Forming. Storming. Storming. Norming. Matches up perfectly, doesn't it? So when we have this uninformed optimism, the beginning of the semester, you're casting vision for the students, everyone is super excited, it's exhilarating, it's wonderful. I'm so glad I'm on the servant team this year, it's going to be incredible. And then, oh yeah, by the way, we want you to spend the first three days you're back from your summer, maybe four or five days to be honest, uh, standing out in the sun doing hundreds upon hundreds of surveys. And it's going to be kind of awkward, and the campus administration might not like you. All of a sudden, they have informed pessimism. <laughs> this, there are a lot of reasons not to be excited about being on the servant team, right? Uh, they could just leave at that point. Or they could get to this hopeful realism where instead of storming, they're norming. They're kind of coming to grips with reality. And then they can get to this informed optimism. This is going to be good. Imagine doing all this follow-up. How many people are going to come to Christ? They're getting into that performing stage. Do you guys see that? Now, if you want to get down here as a team, and I'm sure all of you do, if we want to bear fruit, which is the theme for today, we have to get past this informed pessimism storming phase. We have to get past it. And that's not just on your campus teams. That's in a ministry-wide setting like Master Plan. Like Kyle said, conflict is unavoidable. It's going to happen. You're, it, this is a sinful world, and it's going to happen. And so it's critical that we learn how to deal with it. Okay? And what we're going to go through today is Ken Sandy's 12 steps. And Ken Sandy is the author of The Peacemaker and the president of Peacemaker Ministries. All you guys in Denver, that's where he's located. And he does weekend-long conferences where they do certifications on conflict resolution, marriage conflict resolution, ministry conflict resolution. If I was in Denver, I would have gone through every one of those by now, I think. I really appreciate this guy a lot. But I, kid conflict resolution stuff. So I would encourage you, take advantage of that. It's right near town in Denver. But anyway, and if you haven't read The Peacemaker, read The Peacemaker because it's really good. He also has a Peacemaker uh, workbook that somebody can work through 
as they work through conflict. It's it's phenomenal. And the workbook for kids, that's what makes Oh, the, okay, so there's a work, that is awesome. They're like cartoons. Wow, yeah, I have not seen that. That's incredible. That's really good. Okay, also conflict is the number one reason people leave ministry. Do you know that? I mean, the number two used to be the number one. The number one now is uh, sexual um, integrity issues, so like porn, that kind of stuff. But it's one of the biggest issues that people leave ministry, so we have to get around to dealing with it. Now, Patrick Lencioni is a Christian, but he writes for like secular leadership markets. But he wrote The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and that's the triangle. This is good to know as a team leader. You should know this. These five things will kill your team, okay? Number one is the absence of trust. That's why Austin had us do that activity the other day. It kind of helped us build some trust, right? Uh, if you don't trust your team members, your team is toast, man. So you have to get the team to trusting each other. Number two is fear of conflict. This is where everybody just kind of silently hopes nothing bad happens. On our team, I think we've mastered positive conflict, which maybe we're not 100%, but in our team, it's like, no, that idea is no good. <laughs> Wait, that doesn't work because of this. <laughs> and no, I don't think any, I hope nobody feels offended. I don't, you don't. Usually uh, we get through the end of the day and we go, I think we got to the best idea, you know, because uh, nobody in the room knows as much as everybody. So we work through it together. Uh, next is a lack of commitment. You could read The Five Dysfunctions if you want more on this. It's actually a neat book to get, <coughs> Five Dysfunctions of a Team, because it goes through each of these. It's like a workbook. It's not like a, a, a book book. So it'll go through each of these, and then it'll have group activities that you can do to work on that, on that exact issue. So things you can do to build trust, things you can do to, to get over the fear of conflict. Okay, avoidance of accountability. Why do you think Russ has the weekly emails? We can't avoid accountability. What if you put on there, I had zero conversations this week, zero appointments this week. Well, there's going to be accountability. Okay, finally, inattention to results. Whatever happens is fine. Okay, no goals. Whatever. Okay, that's just good to know, but it's not necessarily completely where we're at today. But I wanted to put it up here because on your team, lots of dynamics are occurring, and your team can crash and burn if you're not leading them correctly. And our team as a whole can do the same if we're not working through it carefully. Okay? Now, it's important that we deal with conflict, especially in this phase of the pyramid that I just drew when it occurs, and we can't be passive about this. I want to tell you six things not to do with conflict, all right? You can write these down if you want. Number one, don't bottle it up, right? Some of us can just bottle it up, I'm not going to deal with it, and I feel like a pressure cooker, okay? Don't do that. That's not good. Uh, peace at all costs is not really peace, okay? Number two, don't be passive-aggressive. It's no cool when you're trying to, like, make a point without just going and talking to the person. Everybody catches it, and it's not a cool way to deal with it. Uh, so don't be passive-aggressive. Um, don't explode. Don't take a small issue and vomit on it, You're right? So don't explode. Keep yourself sane. Uh, don't just leave. You could just say, this team's not the right place for me. I hate the conflict there. I'm done. Okay? Uh, don't put it off. 
Time does not heal all wounds. When there's conflict, you should go immediately to the person, as soon as time permits, in a peaceful way. I'm not saying interrupt them in the middle of a job they're doing and pull them aside from something that needs to be done. Be sensitive, but surely don't put it off, because that's not good. Uh, gossip. Don't gossip, number six. It won't help anything. There's actually a seventh one. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Right? Scripture says love doesn't do that. But it's easy to keep a mental checklist of all the ways somebody's hurt me, and that doesn't help conflict resolution, and it's flat out contrary to what Christ has called us to do. Um, and it creates this crazy cycle where nothing that person does is right. I, I begin to interpret everything they do through my little list of all the ways they've hurt me. Does that make sense? We've all done those things, though, right? And that's not the right way to deal with conflict on a team. So don't do those things in the future. And here's why it's critical to deal with conflict. There is a slippery slope. This is also from Ken Sandy. Okay, so on the, the first side of the slippery slope, you have the escape responses. You're just trying to leave the problem. Okay, and those are peace faking, Sandy says. On the other side, you have attack responses. And those are peace breaking. Now, the escape, the left side, those include, at the worst, suicide. Can't get over this issue. I can't get over this problem. I'm done with it. They also include flight, just running away. And they might include denial. On the attack side, they can include assault. Actually, assault this person verbally, physically, some other way. Maybe I undermine them or cut them or I leverage against them any way I can. They might include litigation, I sue them, which is not biblical for Christians. Or even murder on the attack side of the spectrum would be the furthest part of that, okay? Now, in the middle, we actually have peacemaking responses. And these are godly. This is how we should handle things. We have here, overlook an offense. We have reconciliation. We have mediation. Negotiation. Arbitration, accountability. Okay, so that whole top side is kind of where we want to be as a ministry. Now, what happens when I don't deal with conflict immediately is how long can I stay on the, on the top of this slippery slope without going in one or the other directions? Does that make sense? If I don't do these things right now, I will slip either into the peace-faking responses or the peace-breaking responses. And neither of those is healthy. So we want to, as a ministry, get to a place where we're not slipping to either side, but in a godly way we're dealing with things up front, right? Okay, so uh, I'm going to go through Ken Sandy's 12 steps because I think these are super important. You will have these on the back of your sheet. Number one, glorify God by resolving conflict promptly in a godly way. That's actually a category for the first three. It's not... It's not uh, the, the step itself. But the reality, Ken Sandy writes, is that every conflict provides an opportunity for God to be glorified. So I want you to say this with me. Conflict is an opportunity for God to be glorified. Ready? Conflict is an opportunity for God to be glorified. Right? So just like everything else, like what Brad talked about today. So way to set this up. 
So we don't think of conflict as a bad thing. Think of it as a good thing that God can be glorified in and that I can grow through and that the other person can grow through. All right? So conflict provides opportunities. He says, second, live at peace. Right? So as much as it depends on you, live at peace. Don't let this one issue destroy your life or your relationship with another person. And three, trust in the Lord and do good. Don't get into a cycle of being a jerk, especially to the person you have conflict with, because of some conflict. Continue to do good, trusting that God will work this out. Okay, the second category, he says, is get the log out of your own eyes. This is where we look at ourselves, because that's where we have to start, and that's where Jesus said to start. Don't this correspond to the right side? No, no, this will be the communication level over here, okay. which I'm just going to remind people of. The last three corresponded with the right side. Oh! The last the slippery slope. Okay, so yeah, all 12 steps are going to correspond with the top of the slippery slope here. Top of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. These are all going to be the peacemaking responses. Glorifying God by resolving conflict. Conflict provides opportunities for God to be glorified. Live at peace. Trust in the Lord and do good. Next, get the log out of your own eyes. So overlook minor offenses. And this is something that I'll, I'll mention again in a minute. Actually, I probably won't because I don't have time. But... Is this conflict a personality issue? Is it a minor issue? Is it biblically debatable? Is it a style issue? Is it an expectation issue? If it is, you should probably overlook it. Here's another thing to consider. If the conflict or the issue is with somebody that's your superior, you should not ever overlook it. I mean, don't be stupid. I didn't like your voice. Whatever. I mean, but it's, a, it's an issue of growth that... The longer you grow, the more feedback you should be receiving, especially about ways that you're coming across wrong to people. So as a, I always encourage our students, if you see anything that you don't, that you don't like with me or something like that, I need to know that. And you need to tell me that. It, it would be like robbing me of personal growth to not hear that. Does that make sense? Now, and I think, so for all of you, if, it, if it's with somebody that's above you in some way, your pastor, your director, Please communicate that, especially if it's remotely reasonable, so that we can grow and so that others can grow. And uh, for you that are uh, hearing that from others, receive it with joy. I've heard some really hard comments from students that I disagreed with like nothing else, and I've really tried hard not to debate it. I just say thank you so much for sharing that with me, and I pray that God helps me grow through this. You know, I've tried to do that. Maybe a couple times I've argued with them <laughs> because it's not easy to hear that stuff sometimes. You know what I mean? But it's good. It helps us grow. Okay? Uh, and the next thing is with your peers, pray about it. Should you overlook the minor offense or is it something that could really help their personal growth? With somebody younger than you, if it's a minor offense, you should always overlook it. Okay? Always. I mean, if it's minor. If it's not minor, don't overlook it. But if it's a minor thing... Um, and it's, and it's a young Christian, focus on the major things, right? Help them take the big steps rather than undermining whatever little confidence they have with small steps. Question, yeah? With the stuff that you said in the beginning when you talked about overlooking it, and it's like uh, insults with like character issues, expectation issues, yeah. those things, would that include overlooking it with your superior? Or would that include, or do you go to your superior? So I'm not setting down a law here. These are general guidelines. I mean, if there's something that you just really need to talk through, then talk it through, you know what I mean? But if you can overlook a minor offense, try with everything in you to overlook a minor offense. All right.
So get the log out of your own eyes, overlook minor offenses, evaluate your own heart. Yeah, Brad? Um, then you said, uh, how do you distinguish So I gave some ideas. Is it a personality issue? Man, that person just rubs me wrong, you know? Uh, well, we're the body of Christ. It's going to happen, you know? And we're built differently, thank God, for different parts of the body. Is it a minor issue, like something that is biblically not a big deal, not a major issue? You know what I mean? Um, is it biblically debatable, right? So it's not, remember somebody got really mad at me once for using the word kid for kids? Because they said that that's what you call young goats, you know? I'm like, talk about a minor issue, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, God, it's just ridiculous. Okay. Is it a style issue? Is it a style issue? Maybe somebody has a style of doing things that you don't like or a way of doing things that you don't like. The kitchen is, is great, right? When we first got married, I was always like, it has to be this way. I had, because I kind of own the kitchen. And Aaron was like, I hate it when you do that. Just let me cook. So the way we have to cook is I leave. I, if, if I'm cooking, I cook. I love it. But if she cooks, I have to leave the kitchen, right? <laughs> because uh, we have different styles, and I can get rubbed wrong on style issues, which isn't good. Okay, or is it an expectations issue? I really expected things to go um, this way, and they didn't, and I'm really mad about it now. Now, a note on minor issues. If you do want to talk it through just to talk something through for your own health, but it is an offense that can be overlooked or not an offense at all, it's fine to talk it through. Just make sure that you're not making the other person the, the wrong person in it, okay? Okay, next, evaluate your own heart. Really seek God and ask God what my heart, where my heart is at, right? We had to do this with an incredibly hard family issue. And without going into details, it was very hard. And somebody hurt our family as a whole, not personally. Really, 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 really badly. I would say more than anybody's ever hurt a family, right? And I had to, Aaron and I invited these two people over, and I had to sit down, and I had to tell this, this lady my contribution to the problem. And it was very humbling, and it hurt like crazy because she really did more damage to our family than, than you could possibly imagine. Uh, so it was very hard to, to start by telling this person, I'm sorry for viewing you like this. I'm sorry for disrespecting you for X, Y, and Z. But that's where we're at. We're looking at our own heart, and then we're confessing our own contribution to the problem. Kind of diffuses things, right? When there's somebody with a big conflict, and you come to them, and you say, you know, I'm really sorry for how I've treated you in this whole thing. Will you please forgive me? Uh, they're a lot less likely to attack you right after that, right? Or to try and deflect whatever criticism you might have. All right. Next, gently restore the other person. Resolve conflict just between the two of you. This isn't a public issue. Jesus said that. Two, speak the truth in love. And now is the communication wheel. I'll write it up here. Okay, wait. Actually, what about you guys? You guys remember these? Only one issue, sensory data, thoughts and feelings, wants and actions. <laughs> Is that on iTunes yet? <laughs> no, I think my first million. <laughs> 
the, the picture of you guys doing that song is seared into my memory for all time. It will never leave. For better or for worse? Probably for better. Okay, anyway, so speak the truth in love. As you deal with it, do it the right way. Speak it the right way, in a loving way. And then if you need to, take one or two others along. Now we're going to have a staff protocol that I'm going to mention to you. And it's not at the policy level, but it's at the Jesus level. So it's kind of important. But anyway, he said it. It comes from Matthew 18. But I just kind of want us to follow something. We'll get there in a minute. But if it doesn't get resolved and you need to follow the next step of Matthew 18, go with one or two others. Okay? All right. Finally, go and be reconciled. Forgive as God forgave you. Look also to the interests of others overcoming evil with good. So be forgiving, regardless of their response, because that's what you're called to do in Christ. Look to their interests, regardless of their response. Right? Even if the conflict isn't resolved, try to put their interests first, like we read in Philippians this morning, chapter 2. Okay? And finally, overcome evil with good. So even if there isn't a reconciliation Treat them as you would a Gentile or a non-Christian. Love them. Pray for them. Hope the best for them. Reach out to them any way you can. Aren't those good steps to work through in conflict resolution? <laughs> They're all from Scripture, so they'd better be good, right? But it's nice that Ken uh, kind of put those into a structured 12-step way of dealing with conflict that we can really uh, use. Okay, so staff protocol, kind of going back to Matthew 18, 15 through 20. You could summarize it this way. Criticism goes up, not down. Okay, that'll help you remember it. But basically, if you have a conflict with somebody and you need to deal with it, um, deal with it the way Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15. Do it alone and do it according to these 12 steps that we mentioned, right? And try to do this in a godly way. If there's no reconciliation, if that fails... You should go with another, as scripture says. Now, if it's a conflict in the team, the type of person that you should bring is not some staff that's on MPD, right? And that'd be pretty immature. What you should do is go with your director. Take your director and say, um, we really need to deal with this issue, right? Now, if the conflict is with your director and it can't get resolved, you should go to your director's director, which is probably Russ, right? Uh, go talk to Russ. Russ has been around the block a few times in ministry. He's had to deal with conflict a few times. I remember when I was a student, this uh, person wanted to come to one of our meetings and like kill everybody and all this stuff. And I freaked out bad, showed Russ the letter, and he started laughing. He's like, oh, yeah, you see this every few years or something like that. <laughs> and we sat down and dealt with the conflict. The guy got on an airplane the next morning and took off, left town. Tries to friend me on Facebook every couple months now. It's pretty awkward. Anyway. Okay, so, and if the problem is with Russ, right, go to the other directors. We all want you to know that you don't just have to bottle it up, okay? You can, you can come to us directly. If it doesn't get resolved, go above us. And, and you should do that with each other. If, if it's a new staff, be wise in how you deal with it. Does that, you guys all kind of got that protocol? Is that kind of good? Is that kind of a good way to handle conflict when it comes up, doing it in a godly way? Because it will come up like Kyle said, so let's resolve it the right way, right? 
and, um, and go with it from there. Okay, so in conclusion, guys, if we can get good at resolving conflict in our ministry, we're not going to give Satan a foothold in our ministry to attack us and to destroy us and to burn us to the ground. And we're going to be freed up to do the ministry he's called us to and to see the fruit that Mitch reminded us about this morning and Kyle in that video. So we need to get good at this stuff. And it's also, the more we get good at dealing with conflict, the less we're going to fear conflict, right? Because if it comes up, we'll deal with it in a godly way, and God's going to be glorified. I'm not too afraid of that. So that eliminates this whole dysfunction of a team that could hurt your team. Does that make sense? So to do this, we're going to do this worksheet this morning. We don't have as much time as I hope. We have about five minutes. But you can get a start on it, and then you can take this home and work through it. What I want you to do is, if there's a staff person that you do have conflict, this is your pressure release valve. Don't just bottle it up, okay? But take whatever conflict you have with that person and work through this worksheet, okay? That'd be great. You, can work, you don't have to talk with them this afternoon. You can talk with them two, three weeks from now. But just set on that worksheet when you're going to do this, all right? If there's not anyone on staff that you need to do this with, that's fine. You don't have to, like, come up with something to address. <laughs> like, Natalie is so sweet, but gosh darn it, I'm going to find something to deal with here, you know? <laughs> you don't have to do that, right? Uh, so if there's just nothing pressing on staff, that's great. Praise God. There might be in your family, so maybe you need to deal. And it doesn't have to be something that somebody directly hurt you in. So the one I talked about... It was not us directly that got hurt, but the family as a whole, like extended, that was hurt very deeply. And it was important for us to deal with that issue, right? Okay, so um, in your family, it could be your spouse, it could be others, but work through those things the best you can. And if it's none of the above, think about some believer in your sphere of influence that you might need to work through things with. And we all have other believers and friends from our past that it would really help to work through some of this stuff with. And guys, even a non-believer, you might be careful how much of, you know, scriptural protocol you use. You might not tell them, we need to do this this way because Jesus said so. It might just make the conflict bigger. I don't know, maybe it wouldn't. But I have found that asking non-Christians forgiveness is an incredible open door to the gospel. It's huge. I've done it numerous times, and every single time it's like baffling to them because the world doesn't work that way so much, you know? And so if, if you can't think of anybody in your family or staff or any other believers, think of some non-believers and see it as an opportunity for evangelism. All right, that's just a little on dealing with conflict. I hope you take that worksheet and work through it. Do I have your commitment? You're not going to just put it in a file somewhere where it never gets seen again? If you want it, I can send it to you too. But that's all I have.